Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Hello, dear listener. I hope your day is going extremely well. When I first got on the Zoom with today's guest, David Charles, I saw a very young face and I thought to myself, hmm, how much experience could this person really have? But I was blown away after talking to him for nearly an hour and heard his story. David Charles is a co-founder and currently the CEO of a company called Mood which is an online cannabis dispensary. Everything they do is completely legal, and they only ship to states where cannabis is legal. But they have a lot of products that are made of very high-quality ingredients, let's say. And one thing I also found fascinating is that they only work with small family-owned growers of the cannabis plant. So highly recommend you tune into today's episode of The Business of You and listen to David's story of how he went from basically just someone trying to figure out what to do with his life to now living a nomadic lifestyle and running a very, very, very fast growing company. Mood has been around for just over a year and they've already expanded from, I think, their initial warehouse was 5,000 square feet, and they are now in a 30,000 square foot facility in just under a year. Actually, just over a year, but that move was just under a year. So again, enjoy today's episode with David Charles. So did you and Jake open up the dispensary together? We did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Jake, uh, so I, I was in no, financially, I was in no place to fund a inventory intensive business that required a, a you know physical warehouse and tons of equipment and all this kind of stuff. And Jake came in and said his initial his initial uh, offer was, "Hey, I'll fund it. You do you do most of the work. Build build the company. You run it. I'm going to be pretty hands off, more of a as an as an investor and an advisor. Uh, but I'll give you the blueprint that I've seen work up in Canada. You execute." He knew that I'd been up to some um, I don't know uh, tech and kind of like you know big boy ways of working things. And I was a, a better operator than I was when, when he first knew me. So he felt comfortable with that. Um, but as time went on, like not even that much time, Jake went very much from being the guy who's like, I'm going to invest and be an advisor to Jake's right there in the trenches functioning just, just as, as voraciously as any, any co-founder I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And was that, um, because there was a need for him to do that or because he just got so passionate about the business? I think it's both. Um, Jake brings a really unique skill set with media buying and with with generating sales um, that you know advertising in 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 this vertical is really tricky and there's there's not a lot of folks out there 
in, in the world that can do it. Jake's one of them. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, like, it's just super exciting. You know, we, we did, I think we did a million in our second month and who can't get psyched about that. Right. So when yeah. did you guys launch it? Was it so, this year or late last year? It was August of 2022 when we went okay. live. So we're, okay. we're, I guess, what is that? Like, uh, just about a year days. ago, almost. Yeah. A couple, couple weeks shy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and it's purely online, your dispensary? Pure, purely online, yep. And so where, but where's your warehouse and where do you source your product from? Yeah, so our warehouse is in Oklahoma City. Um, it was going to be in Austin where I lived at the time, but uh, the state of Texas, right after I signed a, a warehouse lease, actually uh, banned the processing of industrial hemp, which this uh, is, is classified as. So we went to Oklahoma City um, and uh, f- setting up a supply chain for this was really complex, um, probably mostly because the industry is is so nascent and uh it's by and large populated by um, con artists and just low quality operators. It's really hard to get straight answers. Um, the industry as a whole is just not very professional. Um, and it was really important to us that this time around, the business we were going to do was going to deliver a ton of value to each and every customer. Um, so it was, it was a, you know, a, a, an exercise I'd, I'd done many times before, but um but basically starting with, here's our problem. How do we get from A to B? Um, how do we how do we build a supply chain? So currently we work with, I'm going to say 30, 35 small family-run organic farms all around the country. Who grow so all U.S.-based? All U.S.-based, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where we get our flour. Sim, similar, um, similar kind of supply network for our other products, vapes, our concentrates. Um, our, all of our gummies are made in a CGMP manufacturing facility. Um, and I actually just pulled my dad out of uh, semi-retirement because we're in-housing our edibles. And with his decades of industrial engineering and uh, confectionery, yeah, he's, he's going to be a, a very great guy to, to do that for us. And your dad was, he he was open to this industry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember in high school, uh, when I turned 16, uh, I said, all right, dad, you want to smoke a joint? And, uh, and he said, I can't do that with my, with my son and you're 16, you shouldn't be doing this anyways. And, you know, all, all, all the parent things. Um, but as he's, as he's aged, I think, yeah, he likes to partake. He, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, you know, what is he? Uh, I'm not going to say his exact age, but you know, he's, he's of <laughs> retirement age and he, he likes to mellow out and, and, yeah. uh, yeah, he's, he's cannabis friendly for sure. <laughs> Too funny. What does CGMP mean? You mentioned that. Uh, current. Uh, current good manufacturing processes. Um, it's essentially a, a, a pain in the ass certification that you have to jump through a lot of hoops and you know prove 18 different ways that everything you're doing is going to be food safe, uh, best practices, uh, clean. Um, basically, you just it, it's it's a it's it's a, a standard set forth by the FDA. Um, yeah. And it, it takes, I think, a year, year and a half to to get one to get a to get a CGMP license or um, accreditation. Right. How did you all um, vet these farmers? Was did one of you literally go like farm to farm? And- <laughs> so um, early on, we were talking directly with a lot of these farmers, and then I came across somebody in my network who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew this guy who used to be a grower um, and 
got on a call with him and he purported to have relationships with a number of farms and, and be able to um, get in contact with many more. And his, his whole pitch was, look, I've been a grower. I know how this goes. I know how the culture of these people works. I know how the growing processes works. I can sniff out bullshit. Um, I know what the product specs should be. Um, and so he was really our first team member. Um, and he's, he's with us to this day. He's, he's the one who manages all of the grower relationships. And you mentioned when you were saying, like, I really wanted to do or, or start something of value. We wanted to provide immense value to our customers. What is that value that you see your dispensary providing to people? Sure. So I think first and foremost, it's just making the product category accessible. Um, there are a lot of people that are aware of, uh, we can say, the wellness benefits of THC and cannabis, um, and they don't know where to get it. Um, a lot of these people are going to live in a state where there is uh, just no easy access to cannabis. Uh, maybe it's a, a medical state and there's you know a lot of hoops to jump through to get a medical card, or maybe it's a medical state and the closest dispensary is a 45-minute drive away and they don't want to do it. Um, or, or as with a lot of our customers, maybe they live in Texas or Florida and there simply is no legal cannabis. Um, so they're going to either go to a dealer um, or they're going to, you know, order from some sketchy mail order service from the black market, like the dark web or something like that, or, or, or just people that are, you know, in their forties or fifties or sixties. And, and they say, I'm not gonna, to hell with all that. I'm not going to do it. Um, but if they're made aware that they actually can access this product legally and safely, it's a lot of yeah. value for them. Well, I guess the safe aspect is probably a huge value given, um, just how many products lately seem to be laced with fentanyl just around the country and things like that too. It's, um, it's a scary, it's a scary place. You know, and I, I know everybody's reaction is to say, Oh, the world's gotten more dangerous. But when I was growing up in high school, I mean, I had no business smoking pot. I did anyways, like it, I shouldn't have young people shouldn't. Um, but I did. And, uh, and I didn't have to worry about the pot being laced with fentanyl. And, and nowadays you, you really just don't know what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So what's the behind the scenes like of a, of owning a dispensary? Like it, can you take off the kimono a little bit for us? Yeah. Love that expression. Let's open the kimono. Uh, what can I, what can I tell you? Um, I mean, fundamentally I'd, I'd say there's, there's it's kind of two aspects here. Um, one is you're talking about uh, the warehouse and the logistics and the supply chain. Um, one of the best things I, I learned um, and, and the kind of hiatus I took away from entrepreneurship and working in, in the tech space was the importance of team building. Um, so um, I, I hired I hired this woman named Linda to run the warehouse, and she is one of the most incredible hires I've ever made. Um, she's she's a fucking badass and uh you know she previously built and and, and managed an eighty thousand square foot warehouse for cargill and uh she was open to an opportunity and uh i convinced her she believed she saw something in, in me and jake and and uh i convinced her come 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 build our warehouse for us um and she scaled it incredibly uh she's done just a remarkable job uh to the extent that um i think people that people that aren't as uh maybe comfortable with um with with my philosophy on divide and conquer they might say wait how can you how can you just have somebody else running the the warehouse and i've heard that a million times but they haven't met linda is the answer yeah <laughs> uh, 
So did she move to Oklahoma City or was she there already? She was already there, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And she's she's built a workforce of about 50 in Oklahoma City. Um, we started in a, I guess like a, maybe like a 2,000 square foot space. And then we knocked down a wall on one side and moved into that space and knocked down a wall on the other side. And we had, you know, about 5,000 square feet. And we were just bursting at the seams, no, no space. Um, so earlier this year, we moved into a 30,000 square foot space, um, which is definitely room to grow. Uh, we're not we're not even close to occupying or, or utilizing all thirty thousand square feet, but it's it's probably our forever home. So you manufacture all the products you sell? No, 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 uh-huh. no, no, no. Um, we we do a lot of processing. So, for example, okay. I, I'd call processing anything from um, you know uh, flour comes in a two pound bag, and we're breaking it down into the into the bags it needs to be. And along the way, there's a lot of QA that happens, uh, quality inspection. Um, reviewing lab results, um, making sure that, you know, somebody's not getting flour that's too dry or too small or too wet and, and really, really controlling quality that way. Uh, but then we're also, you know, we're manufacturing our own pre-rolls, our own infused pre-rolls um, and soon to be edibles. But um, CFO would, would absolutely, he'd, he'd kill me, I think, or he'd either kill me or have a stroke if, if I said, hey, Ben, let's in-house the uh, gummies, <laughs> not our lane. So those will be purchased from a reliable source and then packaged basically. Yeah. Okay. We, we're, we're fortunate to have a really tight relationship uh, with our gummy manufacturer. Uh, we've, we've been on site with them. We're on calls with them multiple times a week, planning out new SKUs and R and D and ongoing orders and, and everything. Um, how about the, uh, the vape products? You mentioned vape products. You just, again, yeah. like buy those from a third party. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, vape products, um, there's a lot of BS in the market, um, but we're we're proud to work with uh, a vape supplier that does work directly with farms who specifically flash freeze their flowers, um, which preserves a lot of the live terpenes and, and gives you um, what what was is truly qualified as a live resin experience. There's a lot of a lot of folks in the industry saying it's live resin. It ain't live resin. It's botanical terpenes and and regular regular cannabis. Um, but if you flash freeze the flower. Um, and then press it shortly thereafter, you can extract what would be known as live resin, which is kind of like the difference. I think a good analogy would be like uh, drinking um, uh, orange juice that's from concentrate and pasteurized versus like... uh, Freshly squeezed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The live resin is like the freshly squeezed. Interesting. Yeah, but it's expensive and time intensive to get there. Um, But it's a better experience. Yeah. How do you how do you um, make sure that your buyers are of a certain age? I mean, I noticed on your website you've got the the question: Are you eighteen or older? But there's no check, really, right? Yeah, like so that just can hit. Yes, yeah. So, so for our, our vape products in particular, um, we do it here with the Pact Act. Um, we actually age verify um, upon delivery for all of our vape products. Um, it's not. Um, there's no good answer to this. On, on how to address this this kind of challenge because it costs about 10 bucks we ship everything lawfully via usps it costs about 10 bucks to have the usps person check somebody's id and we cover the whole cost of that uh when this regulation came out and our legal team said hey you guys really got to start doing this said, all right we'll, we'll do it and we so vapes are now far and away our lowest margin item um and the customer experience is degraded significantly as well because usps doesn't you know, email you saying, here's a scheduling link to let us right. know when you'll be home. 
no, it's like, yeah. it, it, it's no good. No. Yeah. Are there any states in the U.S. that you cannot ship to? Yeah, this one um, evolves on a semi-regular basis. I bet. Um, there's, there's, there's several categories of states, but broadly speaking, you can say there are states where, that are fine with it and states who have explicitly taken a stand and said, we don't want this in our state, and we respect that. Um, we, we work closely with legal to stay abreast of all of these changes. Uh, we also have boots on the ground in, in D.C. Uh, we're, we're engaged with a like lobbyist. A lobbyist. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's she's doing a, a, a really great job with engaging with con- constituencies and regulators and, and trying to uh, tell our story, which is which is that we're 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 behaving responsibly and uh, we're we're meeting a consumer consumer need for a product that's federally legal. What are your biggest challenges? I think it's it's really. Um, I mean, on, on a personal level, it's it's really evolving as an operator. Um, I've taken businesses from zero to one and zero to two plenty of times. Um, the phase at, at which mood currently resides is, is fortunately quite beyond that. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, be as, as good of a manager and as, as, as helpful as a, as a leader of a leader as I can be, um, it really, really nurture and support the team, uh, whilst making sure that we're staying true to core values, strategic strategic objectives, moving the ball down the field, um, but that's that's uh, that's definitely hard. Um, as a company, I'd say it's always going to be it's always going to be balancing growth and infrastructure um, against the backdrop of um, a company that's completely self funded and is thankfully profitable, but doesn't have a VC that's waiting to cut a check for ten million dollars. Um, we really have to be uh, tactical with how we sure. deploy our cash. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, on the flip side, too, you don't have somebody else calling the shots, too, and, like, directing your, you know, potential exit or however, you know, the evolution of your company, too. So, um, totally. yeah. Is security a concern for at the warehouse? Um, yes and no. Um Yes, I mean we we take good measures. We've we've got you know a fence and uh, security alarms and cameras and, and all of the rest of it. Um, but no, in the sense that um, you know nobody knows the location of our warehouse. Um, or I mean, the people who work there obviously do, but yeah. it's not something we broadcast. Um, we're not we're not particularly worried about it. And and otherwise, like you know things, you know it's brick and concrete. You know. Right. And it's filled, filled with counter counter offensive measures. Like if you want to break in, good luck. Yeah, yeah. What any idea what the um, largest dispensary is doing on a revenue perspective? From a revenue perspective, largest singular dispensary? No idea. No. Yeah. Um, some of the big MSOs, multi state operators that own, you know, like Curie, they own 150 dispensaries, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, I still don't know. Um, I'm I'm guessing it's north of a billion. Okay. Uh, And I'm just wondering, as a dispensary grows, uh, will you always work with a small independent farmer or do you see it, not just your company, but in general, I'm wondering as these dispensaries grow from a numbers perspective, is there ever people or ventures or cartels that want to get involved because they you know, again, the upside financially is like just become so great. Yeah. Um, when you say cartels, do you mean, do you mean lawful or, or illegal cartels? Illegal. 
Oh, um, cartels. I didn't even know there were lawful cartels. Um, I, I, people have referred to like, you know, oil conglomerates as cartels make a case, but sure. Colloquially, I don't think there's that much cartel weed that's being put into the supply chain. Um, at some point it's possible, but, um, I think, I think to answer your question, it's really the industry is heading towards factory farming, which is something that we want to resist at every turn. Um, and we, we really celebrate the fact that we're working directly with small family run businesses. I and mean, we yeah. love that. Yeah, um, I bet. we're right now we're in, we're in early stages of a, of a content blitz. We're going around the country with a videographer and video team, and we're shooting mini documentaries about each and every one of the small farms we source from. And we want to tell that seed to shelf story. We don't want to be the, the, the you know, the Tyson chicken of weed. Right. Right. Um, it reminds me that particular example reminds me of the coffee industry, mm. right? How people, yeah. um, you know, want farmers to have equal pay, especially on the, the fair trade side of things of coffee. That might be something to explore. It, it, it is. I like that. I like that angle. Um, a rewarding thing is that the, a lot of these farmers have actually been able to, to scale with us. Uh, you know, when we started working with them last, this time last year, they had a grow room and now they've, you know, they've expanded their facility and they've got three grow rooms and we buy up 90% of their stock. Like that's, that's awesome. Um, but if, if we do grow faster than our supply chain can support, we're going to have a problem on our hands. Um, we're, we're fundamentally not willing to lower our standards. Um, but we'll cross that, you know, we'll cross the bridge on what to do. Um, if, if, and when we come to it. But I, I think there's, I think there's enough, um, kind of grassroots farming going on to support our business. Yeah. Yeah. And when we started, I, I said, this is a marijuana dispensary. You corrected me and said it's cannabis. Um, can you tell me what the distinction is? I, I, from what I know, is it marijuana plants are male and female and THC only comes from the cannabis plant itself, but not for marijuana. Or I don't. Um, so I'm I think probably that, mixing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, and and uh, and it's not surprising. I think everybody pretty much mixes it up unless they're specifically in this space and have yes. had to read the definitions and all. But uh, so essentially, in, in 2018, um, Congress passed the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, 2018 Farm Bill uh, carved out a provision for hemp. Um, industrial and 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 uh, essentially non-marijuana cannabis. Um, what what they said is that both hemp and marijuana, they're both cannabis L sativa material. Um, so if you've seen a weed leaf, that's that's cannabis. Um, and what they said is that marijuana is going to have greater than zero point three percent of delta nine THC by dry weight. Um, and if it has zero point three percent delta nine THC by dry weight or less. It is legally classified as hemp and thus lawful. Um, so, so then, yeah, and then, and then, pretty much everybody, including myself, when I first heard about it, its next question is, okay, well, does zero point three percent delta nine THC get you high? I mean, is, is that sounds like bubkis? Um, the answer is, um, with certain products, yes; certain products, no. Um, for example, our our THC gummies. Um, a standard cannabis gummy is about five point five grams in the mold. Uh, some of them are five, some of them are six, but call it five point five grams. Um, if you put if you put fifteen, that's one five milligrams of delta nine THC into a five point five gram gummy mold, then you end up at 027 percent THC delta nine THC by dry weight, uh, well within the lawful limit. Um, and I don't know if you're a user, but fifteen milligrams that's a that's a you know it's a horse punch. kick of I'm not, it's a punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
um, certainly more than than uh, than I personally like to consume. But some people love that. Um, so there's there's uh, you know ways ways to be uh, compliant and lawful uh, whilst yeah. still giving people the kind of experience that they actually desire. Right. Right. Um, one last thing I want to talk about is a, a little bit your your lifestyle. I mean, you're traveling, you're in Europe, you're um, you're somewhat nomadic. It sounds like, right? Yeah. So, h- how does that work? I guess what is your day to day role in the company? And um, you know, great that you can do it virtually, right? Given that there's an aspect of your business that's brick and mortar too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, Oh, I have brick and mortar in terms of the warehouse. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so um, I'd say this this is not something I would have felt comfortable doing um, until relatively recently. Um, I mean, honestly, Linda could have handled it, you know, by month three, I'm sure. Um, but but I you know I wanted to hold on a bit. Um, but uh, fundamentally, our company is remote. I mean, aside from the warehouse, um, everything else, you know, tech and engineering, marketing. Conversion rate, um, customer support. We're, we're fundamentally, uh, you know, a, a tech company. Um, so, with that being said, it it really makes no difference if I'm working from Riga or Austin or New York. Um, my commitment to the business is is such that um, in any given week, you know, I might have. Uh, you know, like this week has has been uh, it's it's been relatively chill. I'd say I'll, I'll probably I'll probably work I don't know forty five fifty hours this week, um, which means that if I get myself up in the morning early, I've got you know until two p.m. or whatever to walk around and do whatever, and then I'll then I'll be up late and I'll I'll be working, um, and then other weeks you know everything's hectic and I work eighty plus hours and I really don't see the outside of my hotel room and that's yeah. It's a bummer, but if that's that's kind of the the cost of the admittance trade-off. to being able to, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, totally. What is your hope for this company? What's your vision? Yeah, um, we, we'd like to um, sometime within the next year, uh, fundamentally quadruple um, size of the company in terms of customers and revenue. Um, I think we have more or less the team in place right now that's prepared to do that. I don't think there are any major hires pending. Um, yeah. Um, so, so from here it's, it's really, we, we've kind of nailed it. Now it's time to scale it. Um, we, uh, we would like to exit the company, um, uh, once we've taken it as far as we can take it. Um, I do think that we can, I do think that we can grow this company to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 to $300 million turnover per year. Um, when you're talking about a magnitude beyond that, you know, say 500 million, a billion plus a year, um, it's really just, uh, it's just a different beast. And I'm, I'm not particularly interested in running a company with, you know, 150 middle managers and and all, all of that. It's just, it's not my interest right now. And and, and no one else is in the companies either. So we'll we'll probably sell, um, once we hit those, those kind of targets. Mm Mm-hmm. When on a personal level, what are some of your your personal aspirations? Um, I'd really like to get involved with charity. 
Um, mm-hmm. If I, if I, you know, if the, I don't want to count chickens, but if the company is doing 200, $300 million a year and we sell it and, and, and I'm, I'm, I own a significant amount of it, I'll be able to, I'll be able to make a difference in pretty much any cause I can think of. I think that'd be a really cool thing to do. Um, I'm passionate about animals. I, I, I'd love to, uh, you know, get a goat farm and make goat ice cream and do eccentric goat things. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep busy. I'll, I'll, uh, you know, take a period, a, a period of a few months and, and take up the cello like that, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, David, it's been great having you on the show. Where is the best place for people to find out about you? Uh, you can, you can find me on LinkedIn, David Charles, uh, co-founder at mood. Um, and if you want to, uh, check out our products, you're welcome to visit us at hellomood.co. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes. Great having you on the show. That's great to be here. Thank you, Rachel. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends. Friends.